Thank you for taking 10 minutes out of your day or evening to listen to Drive Time Devotionals with me, Bill Simpson. Rather than continuing in the amazing portion of the Bible called Colossians, where we've been in previous episodes, I want to take a one-episode detour. As I'm recording this, it's exactly one week until Christmas, 2019. And most of us know the Christmas story. However, we know it primarily through children's plays, books, drive-by nativity scenes, movies, things like that. But I want to tell you the story as it is given to us from the only reliable source we have, the Bible. I want to help you understand exactly how it all went down in order to make it more real for you, more believable, and much, much more personal. You see, of the four accounts of Jesus' life, what we call the four Gospels, only two tell us about his birth. Matthew, who was one of the twelve disciples, gives us part of it, but he only tells us part, and it's just 31 verses. It's Matthew that tells us about the wise men, who, by the way, were nowhere near Bethlehem when Jesus was born. They showed up somewhere between his first to second year, probably closer to his first since crazy evil Herod had all the baby boys murdered in Bethlehem and the surrounding area who were two years old or younger. So Herod likely doubled what he thought was Jesus' age just to make sure he killed baby Jesus. So take your wise men from the nativity scene that you have in the den or near your Christmas tree and put them somewhere in the backyard. They don't show up until much later. And the gifts were key in financing the young couple's two years in Egypt where they knew no one. But it's Luke that gives us so much more of the Christmas story. He dedicates two full chapters, two long chapters, totaling 116 verses. You see, Luke wasn't one of the twelve disciples. He became a follower of Christ when Paul was traveling from city to city. He was a key member of Paul's team and wrote this at the opening of his account in the Gospel of Luke. Listen to what he wrote. Inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us, it seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account. Did you get that? Luke, who was a physician, wrote only what eyewitnesses told him. And did you catch the phrase about many have written about the life of Jesus? Obviously, God only protected the writings that he personally inspired. All the other accounts that weren't quite accurate did not pass the test of time. So for Luke to tell us so much more about the birth of Jesus, his eyewitness had to be Mary, Jesus' mother. She's the only source for all the wonderful details Luke gives us. Unfortunately, I don't have time to cover what happened in chapter 1 of Luke. It's an amazing story of the grace and mercy God shows to Mary and especially to her elderly relatives, Zechariah and Elizabeth. I encourage you to take some time during this Christmas season and read that chapter, and especially if you know elderly people, maybe grandparents or someone like that, who's, who's maybe struggling, wondering where God is and if he's abandoned them. I think that's a very uplifting story for those who are more mature. But I want to pick up in chapter 2 with the background knowledge we have from Matthew chapter 1. Obviously, Matthew wrote his account first, so Luke saw no reason to duplicate Matthew's narrative. But when we put the two together, we get the entire story, or at least all that God wanted us to know of the story. 
Joseph and Mary, like any normal Jewish couple in the first century, were engaged to be married. You'll recall that when the angel Gabriel appeared to Mary, he also told her about Elizabeth's pregnancy. So she immediately left Nazareth to go be with Elizabeth. It appears she didn't tell anyone, even Joseph, about her strange visitor. The next thing Joe knows is that his precious fiance, who suddenly had to leave town and returns four months later, well, she returns pregnant. He must have been crushed, angry, disappointed, every other emotion in between. How could he believe such a crazy story? Pregnant by God? Right, Mary. And you can imagine the stories that were flying around the little community of Nazareth and what people were saying. Now, according to the law of Moses, Joseph could divorce her publicly or privately. Matthew recorded that Joseph was a just man and chose to divorce her quietly, trying not to shame her. But before the divorce hearing, Joe had a dream. In that dream, an angel confirmed everything Mary told him about this pregnancy. The angel told him not to be afraid. He didn't have to fear what his parents or her parents or all his friends or everyone else in town would say. Being a devoted and faithful man of God, he immediately did exactly what the angel of God told him to do. I love this man, Joseph. I want to be like him. In the face of all the gossiping and whispering of finger pointing, of course his parents didn't approve, Joe went ahead with the marriage ceremony. He took a huge risk to obey God. And this next part is so cool. Luke tells us there was a governmental decree that everyone had to go to the town of their ancestors to register like a population census that we have here in the U.S. every 10 years. Don't you know Joe and Mary left town as soon as they could, immediately following the the wedding ceremony? And their honeymoon was to flee to Bethlehem, about a five-day walk away, where they could rid themselves of all the gossiping and finger-pointing. No more of Joseph's buddies telling him how crazy he was to marry this adulterous girl. Nope. They most definitely did not roll into town the night Jesus was born. Would a just husband who risked his entire reputation to obey God wait until the last days to make such a long trek? Heck no. They got out of town as soon as they possibly could. And the Bible confirms this. Listen to the exact verse in Luke chapter 2 verse 6. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. You see, they were already there. Of course they were already there. Now, all the traditions of a packed-out Motel 6 and a grumpy concierge are simply not true. They're just man's traditions. Sloppy Bible teaching and reading created this silly story. What actually happened was this. When the young couple arrived in town... The relative's home they were hoping to stay in was full. The word that is wrongly translated in from verse 7 is the word for a guest room in a home. Luke used this same word one other time when he wrote about Jesus having the last supper with his disciples in the guest room of a home in Jerusalem. Because the Jewish society had the utmost respect for the elderly, the guest room in the home of their Bethlehem relatives was occupied by elderly family members. And so they put Joseph and Mary in the garage. You see, a home in Bethlehem that would have been large enough to have a guest room would also have had a garage-like attachment to the house where the animals stayed at night. That's where our newlyweds spent the next weeks, and that's why Mary laid her baby in a feeding trough, a manger, 
because the guest room was full. I'm sorry if this ruins your nativity scene, but it's really important to understand that Jesus came into a normal family, into normal everyday circumstances, and that Mary and Joseph certainly weren't alone. Joe didn't have to do something no man in that day would do, deliver his own baby. Mary would have had her relatives helping, older women who knew all about birthing babies. That's confirmed in Luke's account of the shepherds showing up that night. You'll recall from Linus in Charlie Brown's Christmas story, uh, reading the story of the shepherds, and they hurried into Bethlehem and found the baby. In those days, there was parting for any baby that was born, but for a boy, and for the couple's first child to be a boy, well, to them, that was a a really special blessing from God. So there would have been lots of celebrating going on. There's a big party happening in Bethlehem. And it was all happening in this garage barn, so it was pretty easy to find in a one-mule town like Bethlehem. But I told you there was proof about others being there. Listen to how Luke worded it. And remember, as Mary told him the story, from chapter 2, verses 17 through 20, And after seeing him, The shepherds told everyone what had happened and what the angel had said to them about this child. All who heard the shepherd's story were astonished, but Mary kept all these things in her heart and thought about them often. The shepherds went back to their flocks, glorifying God for all they had heard and seen. It was just as the angel had told them. Did you catch that? All who heard the shepherd's story were astonished? Of course there were other family members there, celebrating with the new parents. Jesus came into the normalcy of life with all its challenges and problems, but into our world of families and financial struggles. He is God with us in our complicated, faith-faltering lives. He is Emmanuel, God with us and God with you. Like the shepherds, He has honored you by giving you the faith to believe that Jesus is your Savior your Lord, and your King. And speaking of those shepherds, I wish I had the time to tell you how wild that part of the story actually is, that God chose to honor society's most dishonorable men by sending not only the angel to tell them the story, but emptied heaven to light up the sky for this ragtag bunch of high school dropouts. But I need to wrap up this episode. As you think about the reality of Jesus' birth this Christmas season, how he came into the normalcy of human life Keep reminding yourself that He is Emmanuel. He is God with us. He is God with you. He won't forget you or leave you stranded, even though it feels like that sometimes. It feels like that a lot of times. He loves you just the way you are, but He loves you so much He won't leave you the way you are. He will do whatever He needs to do to grow your faith, to help you see your desperate dependence on God, so that you'll learn to love His Father the way He does. Now receive this blessing. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace this Christmas season in believing so that through the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. I hope you and your family have a very Merry Christmas. Please join me again for episode 29 when we'll return to our study in Colossians. And for additional resources, please visit my website, billsimpson.org.